0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'll be looking at a few verses there and then we'll be moving on to Acts chapter 5. In A.D. 31, on a hill called Mount Calvary, Jesus died on a cross between two criminals. On the third day, he rose from the dead in victory. He appeared to his disciples and then to more than 500 people at one time. Before Jesus' ascension up into heaven, he gathered with his disciples and told them, he said, to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. And he said, I will be with you. But he also ordered them, do not leave Jerusalem, do not leave the city, do not depart, but wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit came upon them, upon the disciples and those who gathered in the upper room, and they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon. And what a sermon it must have been with 3,000 people repenting and being baptized and on that day the church was born and throughout the centuries to follow the church of Jesus Christ has flourished it has struggled it has multiplied and it has spread around the world people living out the great commission in 1988 18 people gathered together in a suburb of Chicago to form a different kind of church. They had a vision, a strong vision that was clear, simple, and urgent. And that vision was to proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. To lift high the name of Jesus in worship. To believe firmly in the power of prayer. And to share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. In 1988, Harvest Bible Chapel was planted. It began. Twelve years later, after incredible growth that was taking place, the elders of that church decided that it was time to start planting other Harvest Bible chapels. They were hoping for ten churches in the next ten years. God has greatly multiplied that vision. In 2003, a group of 18 people met in a suburb of Toronto, in Oakville area. Again, praying and seeking God about starting a Harvest Bible Chapel there in the Oakville area. And by the grace of God, Harvest Bible Chapel Oakville has grown and flourished and have planted five other churches. Three years ago this month, a group of people began to gather here in Kelowna and started to pray and seek the Lord together about forming a new church in this city with strong biblical values here in this city that would spread throughout our region. Last year on October the 5th, Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna was launched. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And despite The many attacks and failures and shortcomings that the church of Jesus Christ has experienced throughout the centuries. The body of Christ here on this earth is the carrier of the gospel message. Because it gets carried through people like me and you. Of people who are not perfect, but people who are progressing in their walk with the Lord. And are sharing the love of Jesus Christ with others as we are experiencing the love of Jesus Christ on an ongoing basis in our life. And as we started last fall, we started in the book of Acts because we felt it needed we needed to go back to the very beginning. And as a church starting out, it was important for us to look at the original, to learn, to be challenged from the original church, and also to learn some of the lessons that they learned. And all the while saying, oh Lord, do it again, do it again. Just listen to the original, listen to what happened in Acts. I'm going to read from Acts 2.47 and it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. In Acts 4.32 it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. What we hear about is unity and generosity and healing. And people being set free and transformations of lives and families. And a great grace upon the people and great boldness as they proclaim the word of God. When this growing group of believers faced opposition, they didn't run from it. They didn't pray for it to go away. They prayed, God, make us bolder. Make us stronger. To endure and to press ahead. There was a great sense of awe among these folks. Not Oftentimes, what we may associate now with church is often, oh, do I have to go to church? But there is this, oh, look what God is doing. This excitement, this growth, this vitality of what was going on. And the book of Acts isn't just a nice little history book, even though it is a historical account of what took place. I believe very much that the book of Acts can happen again today. And throughout history, Through the centuries, revivals have taken place that have brought the church back to places very similar in experience and the excitement and the transformation of what God is doing. Some of you here have experienced that. Some of you have been a part of a genuine move of God, and you've seen the transformations. God's done a work in your own heart and your own life and those of those around you. And over this past year, as we're getting close to celebrating our first anniversary here at Harvest Bible Chapel, we've experienced God's grace and God's blessing in many ways. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been an easy cakewalk, so to speak, when it comes to church planting. It is not going to be easy. It is not supposed to be easy. But there is something that I believe that God is doing in and through our lives. He's changing. He's molding. He's transforming us and even over the last few weeks of as we've transitioned from Dr. Knox school and, and uh, actually before that, a year ago at this time, we were meeting on Sunday nights at the Lutheran Church, holding our, our core group meetings there. And then we transitioned to the gymnasium at Dr. Knox and started holding services there. And then for a number of weeks, we moved from the, from the gym to the lobby at Dr. Knox School. And, and now we've moved here. And so we've had a number of location changes over the last little while. And even over the last number of weeks, as we've been trying to get used to this new facility, and, and as they're working out all the sound, and the technical things. There's a lot of meetings and discussions that happen Sunday in between the week of just how we can grow and improve different aspects here to make our setup and, and make our experience here just, just move as, uh, apart as many obstacles as we can so that people can worship the Lord together. It's exciting to see what God has been doing. And I believe we've experienced God's grace and his blessing. But I believe we've only just begun. The work is just starting and in the coming year, I pray it's your prayer, I pray it's my prayer that we would experience more, more of God's power, more of his strength in our lives, in your family, in your relationships, in your work, that you would experience him in a greater way, more personal and corporate holiness, more of uh, uh, salvations and baptisms and God transforming people in, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, here in our city and in our region, that we would see more of Christ increasing in us and more of us decreasing. Oh, that God may increase and we would decrease. And as we begin this new ministry season, as we get started here this fall, um, we're, we're back to the book of Acts. Last, last fall, we, we went through the first four chapters. And so now over the next number of weeks, we're going to go into Acts chapter 5 and, and go on to a number of chapters beyond that. But today, we're, we're going to look at, at Acts chapter 5. And this series, as we talked about it last year, it was the church begins, but now it's the church on the move. And literally, we've been a church on the move. But we trust that we will also, in a great way, over the next number of weeks and months, experience the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives because that's what the church was about. It was about the Holy Spirit doing a work in the lives of people and transforming them. The church in Jerusalem... As we look back there in the book of Acts, they were experiencing a lot of the big mo, as someone would call it. I think John Maxwell calls it that, the big mo, or momentum. It was just, or or today we might put it in the terms, it was going viral, you know, like it was moving ahead. This past week, because of um, a number of uh, football crazy fans in, in our household, our, our kids posted a little video that they did in, uh, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as they were going into Winnipeg this yesterday, and they lost, um, to play the banjo bowl. And so we posted this, and the thing kind of slowly Went, you could say almost viral, I think there's over 5,000 views, and, and, and on Friday throughout the day in radio stations in Saskatchewan, they were replaying this clip of our kids um, kind of having some fun and poking some, some fun at bomber fans, and uh, so I guess you could say something like that is, was going viral, but, but that's just a video, that's just about games, that's just about fun and games. The church of Jesus Christ was on the move, and lives were being transformed, and people daily were getting saved. But we also know that when the church spreads and when God's on the move, the enemy also is at work. Satan is planning his counterattacks, And Satan is real. And we will see throughout the next number of weeks, we will see his ugly head appearing. And whenever there's a genuine work of God, there's a genuine work of the enemy trying to discredit, deceive, destroy, bring disunity. And his first tactic is to destroy the church from outside. But he will also use the church, try to destroy it from within. Even this morning, it was amazing. It it just seemed like almost anything that could go wrong, almost did go wrong. There were technical issues with the soundboard. They couldn't get aspects working, lighting. As you notice, we're missing one pillar. Um, It broke this morning, and it was just like, oh, what's going on? And we just recognized, okay, we're up. We're in a spiritual battle. And we don't want the enemy to to gain victory in in, in these kind of aspects. We're just going to keep pressing on, but we're not going to press on in our own power and our strength. We're going to go in the name of Jesus and believe him for a work to happen here in our lives today and for the gospel to continue to go forth. But the enemy is real, and we have to be aware of that. And so as chapter 4 ends, and you can have your Bibles there. We're going to to just kind of close out chapter 4. We see there was no needy people among them. They didn't have church budgets or benevolent funds back then. If there was a need, people would, who had property, who had resources of some sort, would come and just give it to the apostles and say, here, give it to whoever has need. And we read about a guy by the name of Joseph. Or his nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. This guy was an encouraging guy. Whenever you read about Barnabas in, in the book of Acts, he was a guy that was just full of encouragement. Do you have a Barnabas in your life? one of those people that just comes along and they're one of those encouragers? Are you a Barnabas to other people? Are you someone that's going along and, and looking to lift the load, looking to help out, looking to give a word of encouragement? And Barnabases are so important and, and, and I'm so thankful for a Barnabas spirit that we have here in our midst and, and just so many who are just willing to do whatever it takes to, to, um, to, to see God's work happen here in, in this church. And so in Acts chapter 5 it starts out as we just finished about Barnabas and selling some some land bringing it to the apostles in Acts chapter 5 we're introduced to some new Christians well i, I guess they were all new Christians back then right this was all so so new and so fresh and their names were Ananias and Sapphira a, a married couple and and these were believers and and have to remember the church was only a few months old, a few weeks to to, to months old, and we don't know exactly how how old it was at this point, but but we read about it, and and so let's read here in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan... And great fear came upon all who heard it, I guess. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Maybe he just had a heart attack. Maybe it was just weird coincidence. He did this and Peter said this to him and he died. Maybe it was just you know, brain aneurysm or heart attack, something like that, coincidence. Well, let's continue on. After an interval interval of about three hours, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land to, uh, for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and they found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Wow. That's that's kind of a big deflate gate right there, isn't it? Everything going awesome and all of this is happening and all of a sudden these people bring this offering, present it to Peter and boom, they die. Three hours later, she dies. It's like, Hold the phone. What's going on here? Folks, first of all, I encourage you to write this down in your notebook or, or on those um, connection cards to, to take, take some notes here. First of all, what do we learn from this passage? This, this passage has an important lesson and, and teaching for us here today. First of all, we see sin is serious. Sin is very, very serious. And what Ann and I and Sapphira did, I mean, in selling their property and keeping back for themselves a portion of it, there was nothing wrong with that. That was okay that they they took and and, and sold the property, gave it to the disciples. The problem is they lied. They they were misleading and, and they made it sound like they were giving all the proceeds when really they were keeping some of it on their own. They were giving the impression that they gave it all. They lied. Even though it was just a little lie, they lied. They were craving the applause of those around them. They sought the glory for themselves rather than understanding the glory and the holiness of God. They were wanting people to notice them and say, well, hear what, you hear what Barnabas did? And then, well, Ananias and Sapphira did the same thing. Oh, they are such good people. I mean, they are genuine. Like, you know, that's pretty sweet of them to do that sort of thing. They were wanting people to see them and to be recognized. And, but write this down. I encourage you to write this down. This isn't on the screen. It says false head, falsehood ruins fellowship falsehood re- ruins fellowship it will do it in our relationship with god and it does it in our relationship with others you can't have a very effective relationship with another person if it's all built on lies right you're not going to be able to trust someone who is always lying to you or or you're then when they actually do speak the truth you wonder okay are they actually telling me the truth and the same in our relationship with god if we are not trustworthy It ruins our relationship with him. For Ananias and Sapphira, it proved to be a deadly sort of thing. And yet this shows us the seriousness of sin. That even just a little lie, a little hypocrisy, a little, you know, just fudging of the numbers here a little bit, little by little, we start to become comfortable with areas of sin. But sin murkies the water. It starts to contaminate. Here this morning, we have some, some some wonderful water in in this nice little jar, and uh, filled up at filled it up at the water tap today. Didn't okay good. I'm glad it's from there and not maybe someplace else. And and so you know it's wow needed that good water, good pure Kelowna spring fed water. I'm sure from the sewer not the sewer lines the water lines along springfield you know so so here we have this water wonderful now also have this now now this is um we live in, uh, in an area where there's quite a bit of deer and even the other morning I, I, I caught four predators in my backyard in our garden munching away and managed to scare them before I could take any more proactive measures. And, um, and I won't tell you what those proactive measures are, but I, w- I was trying to, to, to deal with them. And, but we also have this thing, I guess it wasn't working too well, it, it's, it's to spray on plants and it's supposed to keep deer away. Now, um, this stuff is made with 16.7% pig's blood. And a bunch of other things. And the smell of this is incredible. I mean, it is bad. I gave it to a few guys this morning just to take a little whiff of it. You know, and, and it's it just like, it, it's almost like the smelling salt. It is bad. If afterwards you want to come and I'll spray a little bit on you, people will stay away from you. Uh, I mean, just, I mean, terrible, terrible stuff. Um, not sure if it's working for deer. Now, Okay, so now I have this nice water and, you know, just, we'll, uh, it's a good thing the trigger was turned off. We'll just put uh, a little. Okay, um, anyone want to drink this now? I mean, really, it's not that bad. It's a little discolored, but anyone want some of this now? Nate? No? Thomas? Not interested, are we? No. Y- y- you want some, Dwayne? I saw that hand go up. For 20 bucks. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, for 20 bucks, um, I- I'd pay you, pay you that, Dwayne. Okay. <laughs> Okay, are you a man? Yeah, okay, well, we just won't continue on with that. Okay, so you know, you're allergic to pork, right? Maybe that's the problem. You know, uh, that would be a lie um, to say that. But, but okay, so we wouldn't even think of you know, drinking that. Be, I mean, just seconds before I, I put that in there, we'd have no problems just what you know, you would have had a sip out of the jar, you know, but now it's rather contaminated. I wouldn't touch it. You wouldn't touch it. You know what, The same kind of thing can happen in our own soul. Sin contaminates, and just one little squirt, one little thing, spreads that contamination throughout. Look at that, that stuff is spread throughout. You're not going to find a piece, a part of, particle of that water that's going to be good to drink now. It's all been contaminated, and that's what sin does. Sin is a serious thing. We often think it's not a big deal, it's just one little spray, it's just one little, you know, little white lie, one little twisting, but it contaminates and it can ruin relationships with others, but ultimately. It hinders our relationship with God. And it's so easy to fall into the same kind of trap as Ananias and Sapphira. We want to look amazing. We want to look put together in the eyes of others. And this is a trap we can fall into. We want others to think we're more spiritual than we are. We, we maybe like to give the impression that, that you know, about our prayer life and, and, and the time we spend in the Word and, and we just say kind of the right thing that, that just even puts us in the right light that, oh, people would hear that and say, oh, how, how holy is that person? Oh, they're, they're so mature in their faith. Or, you know, maybe we give the impression that we're, we're super generous and in reality we're so tight that we squeak when we smile. You know, and, but we, we like to give the impression that, that we're very generous. And pastors, I mean, can easily, easily, I mean, fall into this kind of trap, you know, especially when it comes to attendance markings within a church, you know. And, and, and l- let's say the attendance of a church is 120 people. You know, pastors have a tendency to then say as they're talking to some pastor buddies or, you know, kind of, you know, talking it out and some, so how many people are in your church? Well, around, you know, getting close to 150, you know, when, when really it's at 120, but we, we kind of like to round things up because it makes us look a little more successful or, or, or you know, like, wow, look at them. And and we have to keep fighting these kind of tendencies. I remember, I think I've shared this before, it was some time ago, how th- there was a time that I would write emails, send emails, and then I would wait. I didn't know how to set the timer on my email kind of thing. But I would get up early in the morning and before I would spend time with the Lord in prayer and in Bible reading, I would go turn on my computer and I would send those emails so people would see the time that those emails came and would think, wow, what a godly pastor. He's up so early doing the work of the Lord. Like, how evil is that, right? You know, and, and I know I'm in good company because in one way or another, you folks probably do the same thing from time to time. We try to look a little better, a little, you know, Smarter, a little, wiser than maybe we really truly are. It's about leaving it, walking in humility, rather than in pride and and look and in, in, in just having that right look. We're always wanting to bolster ourselves in the eyes of others, and we become consumed about our reputation, and we don't care too much about the inward character and what's going on. You see, when we're lying, we're not just lying to others. This passage makes it very clear here that they were lying to God. He said, how have you lied to God in this way? This is a serious thing. Sin is serious. It's costly. It was costly for Ananias and Sapphira. In fact, it was deadly. And sin causes us to live in the shadows of life. you think, boy... I'm sure glad that same sort of thing doesn't happen today. I hope that doesn't happen here at Harvest Bible Chapel in Kelowna. Someone says um, just a little lie or little, little, you know, thing, just saying a little bit, you know, a little off to make themselves look good. and I, Man, if God did this today, I'd be doing a lot of funerals, wouldn't I? <laughs> I'd be dead too. Thankfully, God does not strike us dead when we sin. However, we do need to see in this passage that sin is costly. Sin is deadly. In fact, maybe it's not the quick death that we face, but it can be a slow fade. And that's where I believe many of God's children and why the church of Jesus Christ, oftentimes today around our world, is powerless is because instead of slowly allowing God to transform and and grow us in areas of holiness, we're living in the shadows and we're lacking power. And what happens when we live in the shadows and we live these kind of lives, it results in a powerless life because we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. It means that we have a joyless walk with God. Because we're always concerned about our reputation and whatever others think. And we have an ineffective witness. People are saying, I don't want to be like that person. Because people will see right through it eventually. Living in the shadows of hypocrisy, of unconfessed sin, affects us. It will affect us even physically. King David in Psalm 34, I encourage you to read this this week. Just write down Psalm 34 and and to read it. But here's in verse 3. He says, for when I kept silent... And this is when he was concealing his, his sin, his, his adultery, and his murder that he had committed. And remember, he, he tried to hide it and just cover it over and make sure it wasn't that big, big of a deal and kind of look like, instead of the hero, instead of the zero, that he was in that. And he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through, my, through groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer." You see, sin wears us down. You ever been working outside and it's hot, and, and especially here in the Okanagan, it's, it's hot, it's dry, and, and you're just so thirsty, and, and yet you're just so tired and so worn out? That's what sin does as we walk in a life of sin and we're not dealing with it. In Romans, Paul said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Well, where, where was the gift of God? Where was the grace for Ananias and Sapphira? You know, God used them as an example for his early church. And look in verse 11 then, and it says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Could you imagine, I mean, the news spreading so quickly about what happened that day to Ananias and Sapphira? Could you hear what happened to Ananias? I was there, I saw it. They gave this offering and and Peter talked to him and all of a sudden, boom, Ananias was dead. And then a little while later, same thing happened to Sapphira. I'm not going around there. What's going on? I don't want to have anything. To, I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, what's going on here? And, and there was a, this, this fear among the people. There was an important lesson here for this young church. Sin is serious and we can't be casual about it. But another important lesson for them is that God is holy. And we see the holiness of God all throughout the word. You read it about it in the Old Testament. You see it into the New Testament. Over and over again, we see, yes, God is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He's a God that is also just. And he's also, though, holy and he's pure. He has not been contaminated with sin. And 1 Peter 1.16, the guy who stood there when Ananias and Sapphira fell dead, he said in, in that passage in 1 1 Peter 1.16, he says, be holy. God is telling us, be holy as God is holy. We are to have the same holiness as God. You say, fat chance. How could I ever have the holiness of God? I mean, you see who I'm married to? There's no way I could be holy. That's what my wife would be saying to, about me and, and about the opportunity for her to be holy. Look at who she's married to. My father-in-law would agree with that he who's here today as well. None of us. I mean, we cannot be holy on our own that is why we have jesus and because of jesus sacrifice on the cross for us when we receive christ as our savior in an instant in a moment boom we are forgiven we are justified we are declared righteous before god positionally we have been made holy That is the work of God. And so when God looks at us, after we've received Jesus, he sees his sacrifice, Jesus, and he sees us as holy. But are we completely holy the moment that happens? Absolutely not. Positionally, we are holy, but in our living out on a daily basis, we grow in that. It is the process called sanctification where we grow day by day and becoming more and more Christ-like. Practically, we're far from it. But as we continue on in our walk with God, he wants to change and transform us. To set us free from the bondage of sin. And day by day that we would grow in personal holiness to be more and more like Jesus. The moment that we are saved until... We see him face to face in heaven. We're going to continue to keep growing in our holiness. And I'm not just talking about behavior modification. You know, like if I had an elastic band and every time I said something bad or had a bad thought, you know, and I take and snap that elastic and go, pad belden, You know, and, and, and snap it just like, oh that hurts. And, and it's not just about changing my behavior so that, you know what, I don't say things. It's about having a transformed heart. And our God is the one that, that changes and transforms our heart little by little. And it says, and great fear came upon the church. Yeah, the holiness of God. But folks, it wasn't like, a, oh no, duck, you know, hide out. Like, he, you know, I might be next. I, I don't want to be around that Peter guy. You don't know what's going to take place. That word for fear came upon the church, was a reverence. And in awe. And as they saw the holiness of God. The people didn't run away from it. They ran towards it. They ran towards this God. Because this brings us to another thing we see here in this passage. Finally we see that grace flows freely. It's worth noting that The Lord judges sin in a very severe way, it would seem, at the beginning of a new period in salvation history. We see that in the Bible. We see that, you can write down Leviticus 10 and you can read about what took place there just after the tabernacle was built. God set a standard very early, used public example, some individuals to display the seriousness of sin in God's holiness. In Joshua chapter 7, after Israel moved into the promised land, there was a guy by the name of Achan who who sinned, who, who held back, who, who stole. And God dealt with him. And now here in the early church, God was sending a message to the people. And folks, may we take this message here seriously today, that sin is serious, that God is holy, but also that grace flows freely. It is a serious warning, but it's also a great, great news story here. Let's read in, in verse 12. Look at the very next thing after after this is happening, as great fear comes upon the church. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Sol- Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that... They even carried out the sick and into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. A pure church means a powerful church. A church that understands and individuals that understand the holiness of God also then starts to understand the power of our God. A pure life results in a powerful life. And when the church is great, and I don't mean great in, in the way of great technical and, uh, ability with sound and lights and, 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 and sounds that, that comes across. I'm not talking about having a great church facility. I'm not talking about greatness as a church as far as giving, you know, having a surplus in the budget or, or talking about great numbers where the growth charts just continue to go up and up and up or great music or great articulate, funny, entertaining preaching. That's not what we're talking about when it comes to a great church. A great church is when there's honesty and understanding of who we are and who God is and we are surrounding ourselves with others in humility encouraging, walking with one another. When there is great unity and great grace and great love and great care and great power, there's revival, there's a working of God that takes place. That's what was taking place in the early church. Yes, the Ananias and Sapphira, it purified the church. It caused everyone to take a look at their own life and to ask God to to cleanse them and, and to pursue that holiness and to fall on their faces before the Lord when they fell short, which happens on a daily basis. Revival. God moving, stirring his people. That makes a great church. You know, when I was preparing for this Sunday and, and kind of looked, this was a number of weeks ago, at this passage and kind of thought, okay, this is where we're going to start off here in the fall in this next series in the book of Acts over the next number of weeks and, and kind of thinking, okay, yeah, book of Acts is... oh. Oh, Ananias and Sapphira. Well, great story for fall kickoff to get things rolling. You know, there's a little part of me, it was like, preach a little lighter, you know, a little motivational, a little feel good, a little heartfelt. People walk out of here like pumped and that. But folks, this is the path to true power. This is the path to a true joy-filled life. Happy In our walk with the Lord when we are pursuing him in this way. These truths are so important for a life of victory and and power. You see, we just don't come in to hear the word. We must also respond to the word of God and allow our lives to be examined. And that comes through constantly confessing and repenting. Surrendering our lives anew and afresh to the Lord each day. This morning, laying in bed before I got up, it was just like, okay, Lord... This day, before my feet even hit the floor, I need you. I surrender myself to you. I can't, God, but you can. And throughout the day today, when one of the young men came into one of the worship theaters, I was just sitting, um, going over the message. He said, we've got to pray. This is, this is a crazy day. And it was just like, Lord, we need you. We need you. We, we, we can't do this on our own. And what a joy it was to take a few moments and just surrender ourselves to the Lord. When we make certain commitments to the Lord, to speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth to him and to others. Maybe there's someone you need to repair a relationship with that's broken. I encourage you to do that. To spend some time in a few moments, we're going to be closing and we're going to spend some time in worship. It's crying out to him, say, God, help me, help me. Remove the sin that I'm struggling with. And sometimes, you know what? When we pray, God just, I mean, he delivers us from a bondage or from an area that we're struggling with. And other times, it's a slow, slow transformation. It's slow growth that ends up happening in our lives. But that's where we also need the body of Christ. That's where we need one another. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. There's something about We confess ultimately to God, but we confess, we admit, hey, I'm struggling in this area. Can you pray for me? I've had a terrible week. I'm having a terrible, there's crazy things going on in my mind. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? It can be messy, but that's the way that we experience God's blessing in our lives as we bring out what's in the darkness and bring it into the light. Oh, that we would be honest, honest people. We're people who are willing to live out of the life of the shadows and drag the the darkness into the light. Wherever we are that would be people of truth. I I love this one story I I heard of a number of years ago was a new employee started to work um, at his new job and, and the phone rang one day and the boss turned to him and say, if they're asking for me, tell them I'm not here. And picks up the phone and sure enough, the person wanted to speak to the, to the boss. And, and so this new employee, first few days on the job, turns and he gives the phone to, um, to the boss and says, it's for you. And the boss was just like, oh, you know. And, and he has a conversation. He hangs up the phone. He says, what were you doing? I told you I wasn't here. I told him, you know, I didn't want to talk, that I wasn't here. And he said, sir, if I could lie for you, then I would also Possibly lie to you. And I don't want to be like that. It's committing early on. Daily to speak the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. Not trying to make ourselves greater than we are. Because God sees us already for who we are. And you know what he thinks about you? He's crazy about you. He loves you. He forgives you. He knows what you've walked through. He knows the struggles that you're facing. Run to him. Run to him in a surrendered heart and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I surrender myself to you this day. I surrender myself to you every hour. When fear, when temptation, when anxiety, when anger, when addiction, when lust, when porn, when, when we're tempted with things that, that destroy our lives, when we're tempted with sin, we come before God and say, I need you, I need you. Help me, Lord. And we also have the body of Christ to walk with us. That's what we're about here. It's not about a Sunday morning show up and then see you next Sunday. It's about growing through relationships. And as small groups get started this fall, um, it's a serious time of, of studying God's word, fellowshipping, of course, being together, but growing together in, in allowing God to change and to mold and transform us. It's bringing it all to God. This is why we need the Christian community. This is why we need the body of Christ to walk with us. No shadow living. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now. and We recognize this is a serious story. A great example that is set out for us here about the seriousness of sin. And even though, thankfully, by your grace, that the moment we lie that We don't drop dead, but there's many of us that, even as your children, we're we're on life supports. And yet with prayers of confession and repentance to you and just pouring our heart out to you, you forgive us. It's your great grace and your great great mercy. But oh, how we need to fall on you every day and surrender and, and just giving ourselves to you. And today I wonder here, what is it? What's the struggle going on in your life even right now? Is it a struggle with fear and anxiety? Surrender that to God. Because that's sin. That's saying, God, I can't trust you for the outcome. I've got to take matters into my own hands. Confess that before God. Run to him. Have others who will stand with you. Be in the word. Finding out that perfect love drives out fear. Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it addiction? Is it pride? Is it depression? Prone to hide and, and run? Maybe it's a tendency towards being negative and And all of these things It's just wearing you down. It's, it's, it's sapping the energy like on a hot Okanagan day. Lord, I pray that whatever it is that the battle is, that we would surrender it to you. That we'd give ourselves first and foremost to you. For those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that, they would, that people would receive you here today, wouldn't leave this, this room without ex- receiving you as Lord and Savior, turning their lives over to you. But Lord, the rest of us, as your children, we need to continue to just keep falling on our faces in surrender and just saying, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. And Lord, we're just so thankful that we can draw from your word and david's words in psalm 32 that when i acknowledge my sin and i didn't cover it anymore says i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin thank you that you forgive and we can know you in power through your spirit doing a work in us molding changing transforming us little by little every day